Welcome to Kinetic, a healthcare app bonus series about careers and leadership in healthcare marketing and related fields, including digital strategy and consumerism. The modern world of work is constantly moving, so in this series, we bring you musings on careers and leadership from well-known friends. Our goal is to highlight the journeys that some of our friends have taken to reach their work goals and some of the insights that they've learned along the way. I'm Jared Johnson, founder of the Shift Forward Health Production and Marketing Group. Over the course of this bonus series, we will be sharing exclusive interviews with an all-star lineup of experienced leaders. Today, my guest is Gene Hitchcock, president of Hitchcock Marketing and Communications. Let's get moving. Gene, welcome. Thanks, Jared. Nice to be here with you. I'm so excited to take a, a candid look back at your career. What we're looking to do here today is to pull out some of those inflection points, some of those things that stand out and some of those things that might either come quickly to mind or some things that, that have been a while, but all in this vein of just really helping our colleagues think about careers and leadership, especially things that maybe we don't hear that often in other settings. And I couldn't think of a better place to start than asking about advice that you've shared often with colleagues about careers, about leadership. But the great thing about this series is that we get to focus on healthcare marketers. We get to focus on those who have been here in the field and understand the nuances of the day-to-day, in-the-trenches work. Yeah, maybe we just start there with, with anything that comes to mind about some of the advice that you often share. Well, I've spent most of my life in healthcare on the provider side, and then twice I've been on the consulting side, and it gave me some unique advantages because when you're on the provider side and you're with an organization for a number of years, you begin to think this is the way it is everywhere. When you get into the consulting side and you go to other organizations, you get to see it doesn't have to be that way, but there are some commonalities and and learn from them. I think the advice I give everybody is if you want to be in healthcare, you have to be willing to be a lifelong learner because the technology changes the healthcare. And if you're marketing the healthcare, you need to understand all that. So you have to be willing to be a lifelong long learner. And for some of us, it's gone from, you know, they used to take out gallbladders by putting a scar on your bit. Now they, they pull the, the gallbladder out in three little pinpoint pricks in your, in your torso. So you got to know all that, you know, they, they now stimulate the brain to help with epilepsy seizures. Unbelievable 25 years ago. So you have to be a lifelong learner so you can tell the story. So patients will come to your organization. So I think listening, which is a lost art is absolutely critical. And then learning, and if you can do both of those, you'll do well in the field because you'll be able to keep pace. Well, you just pointed out one of the unique things about our field, which is understanding clinically what is going on with the service lines that you're marketing. It's not just one dimensional learning, like you mentioned, it's it's learning in multiple dimensions. And that can be a little harrowing at times, especially as new technologies come around, especially as trends change as economies change that's the one constant thing and that you know that's why the show is called kinetic because things keep moving absolutely i think they said in beckers that the average tenure of a cmo in this country now is four years I did better than that. I averaged about seven years everywhere I was, but the whole industry is, it's like, it's a living organism. It's constricting and it's expanding at the same time. We just heard that Advocate Aurora just bought what used to be Carolinas and is now Actum. That's going to be a huge system. So what are we going to have? Huge systems and a couple of community systems. So what does that mean for the single hospital that isn't affiliated with a system? You know, it just, it's interesting times to see how the business is playing out. 
Right. There's another dimension you just mentioned, the business side. So understanding clinically the advances that are happening and the business model as that evolves. And then, wait, how are we making money here? <laughs> like it's all these different dimensions. Yeah. I have talked to so many physicians who can't tell me if what they do makes money because they don't know that. They haven't educated themselves about that. And the other thing about marketing, and this is probably the oldest adage that's been kicking around in healthcare marketing is marketers want to be at the table. They say, I want to be part of the decision makers. Well, I had the opportunity to interview about 60 CEOs when I started my company. And the biggest takeaway was a CEO who said, I never had a marketer come to me telling me they were going to help me meet my bottom line. They told me that they'd be at my desk every morning. So I've always made it absolutely critical that you create marketing departments that are based on solid data that can be flexible enough that you can pivot because now we've got data data that's actionable and you can pivot pretty quickly and it better drive business to the bottom line. So you want to fill capacity and you want to fill it so that it makes money so that you can continue paying services and wages that you need to attract the best and the brightest. But there are marketers who are still at the, um, I'm going to call it the quasi PR marketing stage where it's activity and activity without much results. And I just have never been someone who bought into that. I figure if they give me the, the honor and privilege to have resources to do something, I better do something with those resources and not fritter them away. So I take a very much a business approach to all of my marketing plans and also all the digital work we do. Wow. Pointing to that evolution, you know, we can dig into that for a minute. That evolution from the the Marcom Service Bureau mentality, right? The order takers, the party planners, the the conversation that I have heard a lot the last few years from marketing leaders of, yeah, we are trying to actively get away from that. And we're in a early, we're in an early stage of a journey to get there. But yeah, I mean, that wasn't always the case. That was the status quo for for quite a while. Well, for years, when I first got into healthcare marketing, we didn't have a marketing department because you didn't need to market. And uh, you did PR and you did communications. So you responded to the media, you did internal and external comms. Then when we had to start competing for patients and talent and dollars, you know, like funding from different sources, then marketing started to evolve in healthcare, but not everybody embraced it the same way. You know, they sort of grew what they had, which was marketing communicate or communications and PR. But if they don't have a business discipline to it, again, it's a lot of activity but it doesn't produce a lot to the bottom line. And that's the overriding message I heard from that research project I did with the CEOs is that if you get an MBA and you look at what marketing is supposed to do, like at Coca-Cola, I I should be selling more Coca-Cola. And yet people don't make the transition that that's what marketing should be in healthcare. So we get involved in a lot of stuff. We are just wet at the hip with all operations. And we know where we stop and where they start. We mystery shop services so that they get objective feedback from the patient's perspective of what it's like to use the service. And then we correct any you know snags we have so we make it the best possible experience a patient could have. But you know if you're not getting into the weeds with operations and understanding how they work and how that affects the patient, you can't really market the service. And I'm not saying you get involved in, in operations. You partner with them to make the changes that are necessary to make your project or your service uh, different from the the competitor down the street. Yeah, I've always heard marketing marketing isn't always a priority or a a strength or skill set that a marketing team has marketing them internally. And that is just as much time that's needed as the results that you're bringing if, if nobody understands the value of that. So that pattern of that evolution of the role of marketing, I fit into this, I kind of compartmentalize it, right? Uh, in terms 
terms of a, a pattern that we've seen in the industry. There are other patterns that have come around, and one of them is you already mentioned emerging technologies. And wow, how, you know how many cycles have we seen of just looking back to some of the major technologies that have come around in the last twenty years that somebody at some point had to make a case for? Yeah, this is going to be everywhere, and we have an opportunity right now. We're going to have to do this one way or the other, but we need a website. We need to be on social media. We need to do this, this, and this. And there are still arguments that, you know, today of what does that look like? How big do we make that? What is the investment? How do we organize our team? How do we structure our goals? But that whole pattern of saying, here's a new thing. There's a point at which it makes sense for us to do it now and make a pretty big investment in either staffing and or platforms and partners and vendors to get involved. That pattern, I I think we're just at another inflection point right now. Everyone is asking about different versions of AI, generative AI, chat GPT. What can we do? What can we not do? And it's just the latest version of this same pattern. So like, like, what do you tell people when they're like either wondering that knee jerk question of is a robot coming for my job. But the bigger question in my mind is, what's your plan of attack here? What's your strategy to figure this thing out and and have a plan? So just because it's the new shiny thing doesn't mean it's a good thing. It's just new and it's not shiny. What I always use as the acid test is consumerism. What do consumers want? Now, I can tell you, I've been doing this for a long time, that clinical people fought forever after hours and weekend hours for consumers. They fought it for years for obvious reasons. They wanted a regular work schedule. Now in parts of the country, you've got urgent care centers 24-7, right? I've got urgent cares for some of my clients that are only open after the primary care doctors close. That's the thinking 20 years ago in the Midwest, but that's the current thinking at a client I have right now. People didn't want to do online scheduling because they didn't want to give up their schedules. Well, guess what? I schedule everything in my life online. I want my health care online. Patient portals. I remember being in arguments with doctors going, I don't want my patients to see their lab results before I do. And I'm like, well, whose lab results are they? They're theirs. They can look at them. They're not going to understand them. They're going to need you to help them. But why would you Why would you try to keep that away from patients? educate patients, you know? So I always fall on the patient. What does the patient want? What's in the best interest, to quote the Mayo brothers, what's in the best interest of the patient? And given how banking's going, I have seven portals on my computer, including my dentist and my vets. So of course I'm going to have them. I wish Apple would hurry up with their aggregator and get all the portals together. But you know what I mean? It's the consumers are driving that. I saw a presentation from a health system in Texas recently where they do drive-through urgent care. And we all know that telehealth in some parts of the world got up and they studied it for two years and then COVID hit and they got it up in two weeks. You know, that happened in Phoenix. They were talking about it and talking about it. But when COVID hit, they had to do it and they made it happen. So you got to balance what consumers want. You might be ahead of a consumer, which means you're creating a market, but then you better have better quality outcomes and it better be better for the client and not just something new and different. And then don't resist, you know, do your research with your market, find out what's happening in your town and what the consumers really want. I worked for a large academic medical center in Pennsylvania and they were having terrible patient SAT scores in the mammography department, which is not usually a place you have bad patient SAT scores until we went to the site and saw that they had women walking down these long hallways in hospital gowns. 
And they never thought about that. They thought about the ease and convenience of the radiologist. And so once we had secret shoppers go through, they go, I'm not walking down that hallway where everybody's walking in a hospital gown. I don't care if it is my mammogram. So again, listen to the people you're trying to serve. They'll always tell you the best way to do something. Always. Agreed. And we're learning who those people are, the ones that we need to pay attention to. Well, let's get real here for a little bit, if that's all right, about some of the career journeys that some of us have had in interesting ways. You facilitated a panel at HMPS at the Forum uh, this year with some notable names. And I'd love if you could recap what the through line was, what the theme here was, and some of those points that that just had people in the audience captivated. Sure. Um, and, And I shared with Jared before we started taping that I was taken aback by the reaction because we really hit some nerves. We realized, the five of us, that we've all been in this situation. We've either quit, fired, left a job because we thought we were going to be fired. We got merged or acquired. So what do you do when that happens to you? My personal situation was I, my boss asked me to do something that I knew was unethical and I knew would be illegal down the road. I knew that if it came to us saying, did this happen? Did this not happen? If we said it did happen, we were lying and it was, I wasn't going to be part of that. So I said to this person, uh, if you want to do that, you go right ahead. I'm not doing it. And I said, and you know what? I don't want to be part of this area that that operates like that with vendors. And so I just left. I went to HR. I had a contract in place. I said, I want to activate my contract. I'm leaving and I'll give you 30 days notice. And I left and I had no no job, no nothing. But I was not, I didn't get where I was by compromising on my ethics and I wasn't going to start now. And this person was just sort of playing games. And so it was good. You know, that was eight years ago. And um, I shared with the group that um, I went out to lunch with a young friend, a young doctor who was in our innovation unit. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I'll probably get another CMO job. And he said, why would you do the same thing you've been doing your whole life? Why don't you try something new? And I'm just looking at him like, oh, my God, out of the mouths of babes, you know. So I took six months to think about what I wanted to do. And I started consulting. And then I started getting asked a lot to do interim staffing. And at one point, we were up to about 10 people. People, that we had people that were almost full-time at Dignity in San Francisco doing COVID comms. And I've lived in more Marriott's than I'd like to shake a stick at, but I can do that now because my children are gone. But it's been phenomenal. It's been, it was such a great choice for me. And it opens so many, to your point, you get to meet tons of great people. You get to work with a lot of different folks. You have the opportunity to say no to people you don't want to work with, which is another plus as far as I'm concerned. And so that was the story I shared, but my colleagues were sharing stories. Suzanne had been for 26 years at this one place and she wrote the talking points to lay off her staff. And then she walks in and her VP fires her after 26 years. And so we all had those stories to share. We were all telling people what to do. So we were giving them a top 10 list of what to do if you finally, you know, find yourself in that situation. I'll just give you a few of them, you know, decide whether you're going to resign or or if it's a termination, you know, write a a reference letter for yourself and have your boss sign it. I mean, if this is the thing where you suddenly find yourself out of a job, review your announcement or ask for no announcement. Always have a lawyer take a look at your termination agreement, file for unemployment, get enough sleep, research all the options. There's a lot of things out there. There's a lot of people going back and forth between industries. Prepare to market yourself, which is not easy for a lot of people to do. And then reach out to friends and ask for help. I was amazed when word got out that I had left the organization between colleagues and my docs 
I was on the phone a lot and I actually left town just to sort of avoid having all the phone calls. So I started to travel. I traveled quite a bit those six months and I needed to do that because I had been burning the candle at both ends. It was a very high pressure job. So good decision to leave, better decision for me to go into the consulting piece. And I've never looked back. I've never been happier. And um, I got a lot of feedback from people at the forum saying that they have never dealt with the trauma they felt they went through. Um, And they appreciated us being so honest about our own stories. So it was a good topic to have. And I I thought a lot of people got a lot out of it. Well, I sat in the session and I agree. I hope we hear more of that level of candidness because it's the thing that everyone can just have expectations that that get blown up at some point. If they don't go into it with eyes wide open in terms of the realities that you're dealing with, in a lot of cases, you're still playing a role somewhere in a a billion dollar or multi-billion dollar organization. And and like those are not things that are taken lightly anywhere along the way. And so like there are reasons why it's helpful to be a lifetime learner, like you said at the beginning, and to just really have that head on straight and know where you are and what your role is and what you need to do to communicate that value at all times. And yeah, absolutely. It was such a good session. You know, one of the things, too, that came out of that is always network. Don't network when you just are looking for a job. People have teased me about being LinkedIn before there was LinkedIn. It's just smart. You know, you, you meet somebody at a conference, you talk to them, you get to know them. Somewhere down the line, that person might cross your path. You never know. And just value those relationships and make them real. And then the other joke that one of them gave is make sure you back up your phone contacts because a lot of them had their phones taken away from them before they left the building. And I thought that was a good one. I hadn't thought of that one. <laughs> that is really good. All right. Well, final words of advice here, Gene, for let, let's focus on, on our younger professionals. So maybe those who aren't yet in, in some of the situations you and I have just been describing, but may want to prepare for that. But they're still you know, probably looking at this whole career journey. They're getting to know their organizations. They're learning how to follow them money and understand what drives the business so they can provide more value. There's a lot to that. I do recognize how a lot of younger career professionals at this stage have a different outlook going in than I did. And I think it's a healthier one in terms of how to balance their own needs. The term self-care barely existed when I was early in my career. I'm like, what would that even mean? So I feel like there are a lot of tools that are available now and thank goodness. But what, what are some of those other things that come to mind when you're speaking with younger professionals and where they're looking at their careers and, and leadership? Well, there's a group that's called the Gene Pool, and it's a group of mostly women that over the course of my career, I have mentored and really to help them with their career. So this is a, a something that the question is dear and dear to my heart. And while I recognize that people coming into the work have a different attitude, something I would suggest they think about is the person who's going to evaluate their performance probably has a different one than they do. So I'm not saying give up their attitude or give up their approach, but remember, it's always managing up. It's managing, make it so that your boss and your colleagues want to keep you. And in healthcare, you have so many ways you can go, so many directions for learning that you can make yourself invaluable. You were in digital, Jared. I started out at internal comms and then went into marketing. I mean, there's so many ways you can go, make yourself invaluable. And while I believe in self-care, hospitals are 24-7. And in our business, there are times when a COVID hits, it's 24-7. And you just got to do what you just got to do. So a lot of people 
sacrificed their own well-being during that period of time. And we need as managers to make sure people are taking care of themselves. On the other side of it is I had a young woman who said to me, I don't see that as part of my job, doing something that I had asked her to do. And I said, it is part of your job because I'm telling you it's part of your job because you do this with physicians and this physician has asked you to do this. There was something else going on there, but it's a question of you don't get to make that decision. And so you've got to understand what my role is and what their role is. And when we're working through some of those pieces, we've got to really talk honestly about expectations because mine are probably different than hers. We worked it all out and it was great, but she came to it with this, I need to put some boundaries so I'm not working 80 hours a week. And I said, I don't ask you to work 80 hours a week, but this week I need you to give up a Saturday morning and you can take it off somewhere else, you know? So it's learning for all of us too that are managing people because it is, we have three different generations and three different attitudes towards work in in the workplace right now. And I'm constantly learning how to pivot and to be flexible and to really listen to what they're saying and what they want without being a heavy hammer. Well, what a great place to, to wrap up here, Gene. This has been fabulous. This is Jared reminding you that our industry is constantly moving. So own your journey and make your move today. Thanks for listening. Hey, hope you enjoyed this conversation. Stay tuned for our next episode featuring Ed Marks and the story behind his newest career venture. Yeah.